So uh, as I mentioned, I thought it was appropriate for us to begin to focus on um, Good Friday and Easter as it's March, and uh, that will uh, the end of uh, March at the very end, uh, the last Sunday is Easter Sunday. And so Psalm 22 was written by King David, and um, it's often called the crucifixion psalm. Uh, because when you read this psalm, in a very remarkable way, it, it expresses what Jesus experienced on the cross. And it was written a thousand years before Christmas, before Jesus was even born. A thousand years before. And so uh, I think, you know, um, when you think about this, you know how uh, when something really bad is on your schedule, on your agenda, the worst part of it can be the weight, right? Like if you've ever had surgery, for example, you know, knowing that you have it coming, knowing that it's scheduled, waiting for it can be worse than the actual experience. Actually, it's always worse because if you have surgery, just get knocked out, and all you have to do is sleep, really, you know, and then it's your turn to, uh, you know, recover. But um, imagine Jesus from the ver even before he was born, having like a thousand years to think about, I'm going to the cross on behalf of you and me. Imagine him just knowing what's in front of him and uh, uh, you might say uh, dreading it, you know, such a long time to anticipate. Now, lots of people, it seems to me, uh, resist the thought that there's only one way to God that there's only one road that leads to heaven. Lots of people resist the idea that that's true. And uh, even Jesus, in uh, Matthew 26, right before he went to the cross, uh, even Jesus asked God, isn't there some other way that we could accomplish this? Do you remember this? And, um, um, oh, I don't know, verse 32, uh, Jesus says this three times. Um, He's in uh, Gethsemane, you know, he's praying, and uh, he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. You know, the other Gospels tell us that Jesus was sweating blood. Blood was coming out of his pores. I mean, it was so intense, and he's before the Father. And he says, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Isn't there some other way that people could be reconciled to you? And uh, then he goes back, and the disciples are asleep, you know, and, and he wakes them up, and, and then he goes away again, and he says in verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And a very famous, I'm sure you've had experiences in your life where you've come down to, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, right? And so here's Jesus even asking, isn't there some other way? that people could be reconciled back to yourself. And I think it's safe to say that Psalm 22 may well reveal to us exactly what Jesus was actually thinking while he was on the cross. It reveals God's plan uh, to redeem us or to buy back humanity. <clears throat> and this psalm you know, takes away, I think, any question as to whether or not Jesus is actually the one 
that God promised Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 was going to come to be the Messiah of the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Uh, remember, God promised to send somebody, and uh, this psalm reveals that it's Jesus, and there can be no question about it. And so the psalm starts with a very familiar question, Psalm 22, if you have your Bible. Uh, it's Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Starts with the question, why? Here's Jesus feeling forsaken on the cross by his father. Why, he says. It's the passage that uh, Cindy read for us this morning. Uh, these are the actual words Jesus speaks from the cross. And, um, <clears throat> you know, when you think about this, from eternity past, from eternity past, the Father and the Son were always one. Until Jesus hung on the cross, and for the first time in eternity, God turned his back on his son. And Jesus felt it. He knew it for the first time in eternity. It's a dramatic experience, right? Um, and, you know, it's not that Jesus didn't know why. You know, why have you forsaken me? It's not that he didn't know intellectually, right? Intellectually, we know why. Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why did God have to turn his back? Because in his holiness, he can't tolerate sin. And Jesus became all the world's sin. 1 John 2, 2 says he didn't just die for us, but he died. his death was effective for all people in the world all people who would trust him and turn to him. For our sake, he made Jesus become our sin so that we not only could be, you know, cleansed of our sin, but credited with his righteousness. He's the only one who never sinned and God's taking his, uh, you know, good name and his assets, if you will, and applying it to us. The exchange that happens, the uh, getting rid of our sin and giving us credit for his righteousness. But Jesus, in the process, feels abandoned. First, first couple of verses there in, the, in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? I'm crying out to you. I'm looking for you. Where are you? Kind of thing. And Jesus, in the emotion of this moment, feels, you know, so all alone and abandoned and rejected on our behalf. And then verse 3, the next verse, Jesus, yet you are holy. Yet you're enthroned on the praises of Israel. Like it's kind of like ASAP. Remember last week? ASAP's like, you know, I almost slipped, but I know you're holy. Holy basically means separate, different, separated from normal and common, holy, uh, unique, and so forth, set apart. And so I think what the third verse is saying is that, you know, you're God and I still trust you. And I would say to you, you know what, if there's an answer to the question why, it's right here. 
that God is still on the throne and that God is sovereign and that God has ideas that supersede ours and that he can be trusted in spite of what we go through. And here's Jesus being an example of that verse, that same thing. Um, Isaiah chapter 53 is, uh, you know, a very... uh, familiar passage of scripture talks about Jesus dying on the cross and in fact in um, orthodox synagogues uh, in the reading through the old testament Isaiah 53 is left out because it's so obviously about Jesus but in Isaiah 53 listen to what the bible says it was the will of God to crush him Why did Jesus go through this? Why did he experience this agony? It was the will of God to set up a way to be reconciled by crushing Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. Now, I know that when we think about Good Friday, when we think about Jesus hanging on the cross, our minds immediately go to the physical suffering that's involved. But here, what's really going on is the Lord's soul is being tortured on our behalf, right? It was the Lord's um, will. It was his idea to put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for our sin. It's not just the physical, as bad as the physical part is. What about his soul? He was sacrificed in our place, and God's holiness compels God to leave Jesus on the cross instead of rescuing him. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's uh, our substitute absorbing for us uh, our own sin. And then he goes on, verses 3 to 6, The Lord is like, you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted, right? They trusted you, and you delivered them, Jesus is saying from the cross. To you, they cried, and they were rescued. In you, they trusted, and they were not put to shame. But me, I'm a worm and not a man, Jesus. How sad is that? Boy, you know, check the record. Abraham, he messed up. God delivered him. Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, all of them. And Jesus is like, they cried out to you. You rescued them. Where are you? You know what's going on here is what Jesus or what God said was going to happen way back in the Garden of Eden, remember? God spoke to Satan and talked about because of what Satan had done with Adam and Eve, our original parents, that um, here's what's going to happen in the future, uh, that Satan is going to bite at the heel of Jesus, but Jesus is going to crush the head of Satan. And talks about the seed of the woman, and we could get into this, but I think that what's being talked about is who's going to rule over the world someday, the Antichrist or the Christ? Who's going to run the world? And obviously we know the answer to that. But here's Jesus saying, you know, boy, you delivered these people, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Jesus, in our place, his soul being tortured. 
and stretched, right? Uh, he feels ignored. He feels uh, abandoned. He feels embarrassed. He feels like a worm. And what are these people saying that surround him? Verse 7 and 8. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in the Lord. Just as Cindy read for us from the actual uh, people at the cross in uh, Matthew Matthew's gospel. And when you think about this, and uh, you begin to realize, you know what? Everything Jesus is all about is being mocked and challenged. Everything Jesus believes and everything he gave his life to is being twisted and used against him as he hangs helpless on the cross in our place. All of his faith-backed claims that he's made through his whole life are being used against him. And Jesus, you know, realizes that's what's going on, and then he begins to reflect on what he knows. You ever do this? You ever in a place where, wow, I'm just so lost, I don't understand what God is doing, and, you know, I'm just in a place, and you have to rehearse what you know about your relationship with God. And it's like Jesus does this from the cross. He says, again, in verse 9, he says, yet, right? I'm thinking... This is happening to me, but yet, and then he says this, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you, I, I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's nobody to help. If I can't turn to you, I got nothing. Jesus is saying from the cross, where are you? I think uh, it's, it's such a, uh, you know, moving. In John's gospel, in John chapter uh, 16, uh, as Jesus is approaching the cross, here's what he says. I'm in verse uh, 32. Jesus is talking. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each of you, to his own home. Jesus is like talking to his disciples like, all of you people are going to abandon me. I know it already. You're all going to be scattered. But then look what he says. And you're going to leave me alone. Then he says, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. It's like Jesus is counting on his Father to be, I know I'm going to be alone people-wise, but I know my Father has never left my side for all of eternity. And then we come to this psalm and we find out that, you know what, the father did turn his back and abandon him. And um, Jesus, again, you know, looks uh, from the cross in, in, in Psalm 22. And uh, here's how he sees the people that are surrounding him. Verse 12 and 13, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening, roaring lion. He looks around, I don't know, uh, a bull and a lion. Jesus looks around, I think he's saying, you know what? They got all the power. They got the strength. They, they're like bulls and lions, and I'm hanging here on the cross, right? 
They got all the power. They got all the strength. And I'm the son of God. Like, what's going on here? Uh, And then Jesus says this, verse 14 and 15, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Nailed to the cross, hanging, the weight you know, on his joints. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's hurt. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of the earth. You're killing me. Is Jesus hanging out? I look around and I see all these people. They got all the power. They got all the strength. And me, I got nothing. My tongue sticks to my mouth. You remember... In uh, John chapter 7, uh, when just a few years ago, when Jesus was in his prime, uh, he, he says at the uh, Feast of Booths, he, remember he says, uh, hey, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come to me. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Here's Jesus, you know, dying of thirst. My tongue sticks to my mouth so that you and I could live a life where we never thirst again. How accurate is this psalm? A thousand years before it all goes down. This is, I think, what Jesus is thinking as he hangs on the cross and what he's going through. Uh, Jesus dying of thirst so that we would never thirst again. And then verse 16, you know, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. I don't know, you ever see a pack of dogs? Been in other countries here, dogs are like pets, but in other countries they like travel in packs and they kind of get their prey in the middle of a circle and they start biting that, you know, whatever, the, you know, and they uh, attack their enemy together in a pack and Jesus looks around and says, these people are like dogs. They all want a piece of me. They all hate me. They all mock me and so forth. And uh, Jesus, in this sentence here in verse 16, uh, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers. Here he recognizes that there's a moral component to what's going on here. This is just plain evil. And of course, the source of evil, Jesus has revealed in many occasions, is the devil himself. And so what's behind these people and what's behind this uh, crucifixion and so forth? And it's evil. And the enemy is responsible for it. Satan is the source of evil. And, and then um, listen to how accurate this, uh, this is. Jesus goes on. He says, for they have pierced my hands and feet. Think about that. A thousand years before it ever goes down. I can count all my bones. You know, if you're reading along and you've read through Exodus in February, we were in Exodus and Leviticus, And you remember, maybe you remember, in order for you to uh, use a lamb for the Passover, if you were an Israelite in Egypt back in that day, you had to have a lamb that had no broken bones. Right? It says back there in Exodus. And, uh, you know, that was, God was like saying, listen, this is going to save your life. And um, I don't want, you know, some 
lamb with a broken leg, just you want to get rid of it, so you're going to use that as the sacrifice. I want your best. I want a lamb without blemish. I want a lamb with no broken bones. And of course, the Romans, when it came to the cross, oftentimes would break the legs of people to hasten. They couldn't push themselves up anymore so that they couldn't breathe, and they would hung over, and then they would expire from not being able to breathe. But you know the story. Jesus' legs weren't broken. And again, the accuracy of this psalm, right? I can count all my bones. Uh, They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among themselves. For my clothing, they cast lots. A thousand years (laughs) before any of this. Here, all of this is, Jesus has to look forward to knowing what's coming. But you, O Lord, uh, verse 19, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Notice what Jesus cries out again to God, like, where are you, please? And notice what he says here. He says, uh, don't be far away. Be my help. He doesn't say, deliver me from this. He doesn't say, get me off this lousy cross. Stop putting all this sin of the whole world on me. No, he doesn't say any of that. He just says, help me. Just be close. Just be with me through this thing. Just be with me, he says. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. His soul and his precious life are here part and parcel of the same thing. It's not so much my physical, you know, you can kill the body, but Jesus is saying, preserve my soul, my sinlessness, my selflessness, my willingness to do your will. Our relationship that we have with each other, don't be far off, be my help, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, save me from the mouth of the lion right? Save me from the mouth of the lion. And so uh, the Lord again crying out for help. Jesus knows, you know what? There is no other way for people to be reconciled to God than through the blood of his son. When we go on to read the rest of the Bible, the Bible actually comes out and says there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. There is no other way that you can reconcile with God than through the Precious blood of Jesus. And so uh, verse 21 says, you know, the first part of it says, save me from the mouth of the lion, from the enemy. The second part of the verse, like the whole psalm changes. Listen to this. The second part of verse 21. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Wow, you have rescued me. And the whole psalm takes a whole dramatic turn here. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I'm going to praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Come on, join me. All you offspring of Jacob, all you Jewish people, glorify him, stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried to him. Wow. A whole turn, the, 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 the whole first part of the psalm is Jesus begging God, please help me. And uh, the next part of the psalm is Jesus bragging on God that he has rescued him, that he has resurrected him, and so on. 
And you keep reading, and you know, uh, he hasn't despised the affliction of the afflicted, but he's accepted it, and he's brought me back to life. And you and I have the assurance through the resurrection that our sins really are gone and forgiven, and that the righteousness of Christ is really credited to our account. We are the most blessed people. We have so much to be thankful for. From you comes my praise in the great congregation, he says. From you, God, comes my praise in the great congregation. What's the great congregation? I don't know. But I think it's all the people who will be in heaven someday. (laughs) The great congregation, right? Your praise for me happens in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. That hasn't happened yet. But when he comes back, as we've seen over the past you know, number of weeks, he's going to rule the nations. Um, And what an exciting thing that is to look forward to. All uh, the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow down. All who go down into the dust, whether you're dead or alive, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Then we come to the end of the psalm. And let me just make a couple of comments here. Um, Verse 30 says, posterity shall serve him. What's the result? What's going to happen posterity is just all the people who come after him who are in him, right? All the people who line up with him, all the people. Posterity is uh, those who come after him, us. Posterity. You know what his posterity, like you and I, he's talking about here? Um, Posterity shall serve him. What are people going to do who inherit all that Christ accomplished for us? We're going to serve him. We're going to be like so psyched that We are who we are in Christ that we're going to serve him. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because here's what the psalm says. Here's how we're going to serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Here's how you can serve me. You make sure the next generation knows about what Jesus did. You make sure that the next generation knows that the God of heaven loves those people and wants them to partake in the goodness of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. You make sure that the coming generation knows they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Wow. It's pretty neat, huh? The psalm goes from what Jesus did to what God would have us do. And our job is simply to tell the story, to share the good news with whoever God puts into our path and uh, wherever we have the opportunity. Um, And again, I I think when you think about this, uh, this is the plan for uh, after the resurrection. The great congregation, all those people who will be in heaven are going to spend their balance of their life sharing with other people what a great God we have and what great things he has done. And um, let me just... uh, Do you remember Cain, Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's two eldest sons. Do you remember? And um, along the way, um, well, let me read it quick. 
uh, they each brought an offering to God. And uh, God accepted Abel's offering, but God rejected Cain's offering. And again, let me just read it. Um, Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his face fell. I think that's the way of us saying he got depressed. You know, anger is usually behind depression. If you struggle with depression, you might ask yourself, are you angry at something in the past that you haven't forgiven or whatever? So the Lord said to Cain, you know, why are you so angry and why has your face fallen? Why are you depressed? And if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to get you, you know? And so, of course, uh, Cain, he didn't listen to God. He didn't do what God said. He didn't change his mind. He didn't repent. He didn't say, oh, I blew it. You know, the rest of the Bible goes on to say, listen, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood. And why? Because the Bible says that life is in the blood and the penalty for sin is death. And so without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do, Cain. You can gather all your farm stuff and give it all to God and be the best person you can be, but there's a difference between Cain and Abel. And so because Cain would not conform and submit to the one way that God made uh, an opportunity for them to be reconciled, uh, Cain you know, rises up and kills Abel. And um, again, uh, when you think about this, uh, when we get to the New Testament, uh, the Bible actually talks about the way of Cain. The way of Cain. Jude talks about it. Uh, the way of Cain. And um, any attempt to approach God on any other terms instead of God's terms is the way of Cain. And it started way back, Adam and Eve's kids. It's been around us for a long time. When we want to get reconciled with God, we do it on God's terms. And God's terms are through the cross and through his only begotten son sacrificed on behalf of all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whosoever believes in him, and so forth. So uh, one last verse, and I promise to quit. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, we read this. By faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The way of Cain is not the way to be reconciled to God. God has always been exclusive. Remember, the very first commandment God ever gave was, don't you dare have any other gods before me. It's exclusive. Remember, Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father but through me. It's exclusive. And when we approach Good Friday and Easter, we need to know how special we are to God that he would pay that price so that we could be right with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it blows my mind to think that this psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus was even born. 
and how accurate it is. And when we read the fulfillment of these things in the New Testament and we think about how this whole thing unfolded, we realize, Father, that you know this was in your mind from the very beginning. Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. Worthy is the Lamb to receive all the praise and honor and glory we can give. We thank you, Father, for loving us that much through Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.